parking lot again. Many of us are. There's some of you that are gathered inside the sanctuary there uh, today. I do want to ask you to just be patient. Man, this is awesome. I've got, we've got tents out here. There are umbrellas. You guys are just making camp. I like it. Um, I do want to ask you, though, just to continue to be patient with us. I know that uh, some of you that are parked around here, we're trying our best to make sure that the sound is exactly what it needs to be so that you can all hear. We're doing as best we can. Every time we shift things, as we have today, we find a new little hiccup along the way, okay? And so uh, I appreciate your patience with us as we do everything we can. Uh, to minister to you as best as we can. I, I can tell for sure that there's a lot more shade opportunities. I see um, those of you that are, that are not out here, you can't see, but there are people just tucked into little pockets of shade all over the, all over the campus here. Um, so uh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, I do just want, I wrote this and I want to remind you again, why have we come back outside? I know that for some of you, uh, this is an inconvenience um, and uh, it's, 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 it's warm. I get all that. Uh, but at the end of the day, our ecclesiology and, and ecclesiology, if you remember, is the study of the church and understanding what the church is. The church is the gathered body of believers. And so we want to do everything in our power to make it possible for the body of believers here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church to gather. And what being indoors for the last few weeks showed us and what the survey that we sent out confirmed to us is that by being indoors exclusively, we necessarily exclude a large portion of our congregation. And in so doing, we really infringe on that ecclesiological implication that we have, an imperative, a desire to gather our people together as much as is possible. And so we're outside today, and we are inside today, and we are online today because in so doing, we believe that this is the best opportunity for us to reach as many of our people as possible. Um, so uh, that's why I do appreciate your support. I can tell you that just, uh, we haven't counted, there will be a count, I'll find out tomorrow, but just at glance, we've probably doubled our attendance from last Sunday just from being outside. So welcome uh, for being here. A couple of other announcements. There is a, a, a social distancing sort of baby shower today for uh, Ashley Brewington. That's the information about that was in the announcements that were emailed out. I also just want to say, um, inevitably, when we make a shift, our, our offering scenario gets a little bit awkward. So if you would like to give an offering while you are here today, find an orange bucket whether that orange bucket is just sitting and nobody's near it or somebody's holding it. But those big old orange buckets are what we're using to collect offering. They are Clemson orange. Why are they Clemson orange? Because we figured if we could find the most hideous color in the world, then nobody would be able to miss it. And so by finding that horrid color, we've made it possible for y'all to figure out. And look, when you drop it in there, what we do is we take something that somebody meant for evil by putting it in a place like that, and we use it. We redeem it for the glory of God. Amen? I like it. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. i got to find my Bible. There it is. Hebrews 5, 11. Hey, next Sunday, we're going, to do, we're going to make one more change. Next Sunday, we're going to try and have a tent up here on the stage. It's going to be amazing, y'all. We just keep making shifts and changes. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Stand with me in honor of God's Word, whether you're outside or inside. Stand up with us, and we're going to read here from God's Word. If I can keep it from moving in the wind. The Bible says this, beginning in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I pray that your word would go forth with power today. Lord God, we know that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that it is living and active and powerful. Lord God, I pray only that this preacher wouldn't get in the way of the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that you would work through me. And Father God, if necessary, work in spite of me. Father, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear from you all that you would have for us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, I've titled this sermon, Let's Get to the Good Stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I titled it that way as sort of a tongue-in-cheek approach. In my time as a pastor, in the years that I've spent preaching God's Word, I would love to tell you that everybody I've ever encountered has been really mature followers of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, there have been times throughout my ministry when I've heard this phrase uttered. They say, Pastor, I just really want to go deeper. And I say, well, what does that mean? Now, sometimes those people have said that as a criticism of me, right? Pastor, we want to go to a church where we can go deeper. Occasionally, folks have come to our church and they've said, we want to come to this church because we want to be at a church where we can go deeper. Let me just give you a warning. Don't ever say that to me unless you're prepared to explain your answer. Because I have heard people explain it this way. What do you mean? We want to hear more than the gospel. We want to go deeper. Folks, it doesn't get deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not get deeper than that. Unfortunately, for many folks who say they want to go deeper, they've not actually made it past the milk of God's Word to a place where they're ready to process the solid food that God has set out for us. So I ask you this morning, are you really mature? Now, I've got to be careful because my wife is here and my children are here. And when I say, are you really mature? Somewhere, though she won't say it out loud, she's rolling her eyes right now because she occasionally says that it's like she has five children. And I say, you mean the children and the dog? And she says, no, honey, I don't. And what she means by that is I like to play with the kids. We have a good time. She doesn't like it when we hide in a corner and shoot her with a Nerf gun. Somehow or other, she finds that to be childish and immature. Ladies, I'm not talking about your husbands today. I'm not talking about your children today. I'm not wrestling with whether or not somebody poured a bucket of water on you in the shower this morning. The question I have is whether or not we have grown to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Are you really mature? I think we can see at least four things in this passage of Scripture that describe to us what mature Christians look like. The first thing is mature Christians are growing. Now, this isn't really spelled out in the text here, but it's sort of understood. We read that these people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing aren't really mature because they still need to be 
taught. They need to be taught again the basics of the oracles of God. They're not ready for the solid food. In other words, they should have grown from their infancy to a more mature state of their faith, but instead they've stagnated. Now I want you to recall, we've just come through some pretty deep theological uh, Old Testament Christology. We've just made it through Hebrews 5. We're going to move on in through Hebrews 5 and 6. And we're going to see this, this, this figure, Melchizedek, coming back again. And so as the writer to the Hebrews tries to tie closely in with Melchizedek, he takes sort of an intermission. And he hits pause and he says, before we dig too much deeper into the theology and the Christology and the big word-ologies of your faith, he says, we need to get down to brass tacks because a theology that does not lead to proper practice is no good theology at all. In other words, it doesn't do you any good to have a head slammed full of knowledge and to be able to pronounce every single biblical name. If you're not living out the expectations of God's Word. This brings us to some pretty important things. Theology that doesn't have practical implications is not faithful to God's Word. So the writer of Hebrews digs into this, but he doesn't linger too long in the academic aspects before he digs into the practical implications. It doesn't do much good to understand the deep things of the Scriptures unless you're obeying them. Most of the people, and I'm painting with a broad brush... Most of the people who have ever told me that they needed to get beyond the gospel and into the deeper things of Christ do not have an understanding of the gospel at a deep level. You understand? There is no rich appreciation for what Christ did on the cross if we believe somehow or other that it gets better than that. There's got to be application of the information. So before the writer of the Hebrews allows his readers to assume that Christianity is all about orthodoxy, that is, right beliefs, he takes a minute to remind his readers that right theology must lead to proper practice. Proper orthodoxy is only faithful if it leads to proper orthopraxy. It's another one of those big theological words that means if you think the right way, you got to do the right thing. Mature Christians are growing in understanding, but they're also growing in obedience. They look more like Jesus day by day, month by month, and year by year. Another way of saying it is that mature Christians are teachable. I've done a little bit of coaching in my life, not as much as some of you have. But there's nothing better in the whole wide world when you're trying to coach than to have a coachable kid. I have known... Some kids, I've coached some kids that had all the potential in the world, but we couldn't quite get them past their potential to reality. One of my old coaches used to say, potential is what you ain't done yet. Folks, you may have all the potential in the world. You might have the biggest brain in the whole wide world and understand more than anybody else on the planet Earth. But until you've actually applied God's Word, you've not been faithful we got to be teachable. Mature Christians are growing because they're listening. They're teachable. Beware of Christians who always want to go deeper, but do not seem to go deeper in their obedience. Number two this morning, mature Christians teach others. Period. 
full stop, end of discussion. Mature, mature Christians teach others. Now, keep in mind, teaching others does not necessarily mean in a codified official sense. That doesn't mean that every mature Christian is a pastor. Good thing. I'd be out of work. It doesn't mean that every mature Christian is a life group leader or a Sunday school teacher or is leading a discipleship group. It doesn't mean that every mature Christian is maintaining a blog or a fancy Facebook page with pictures of all their quiet times. You see, your teaching may be teaching your children or your spouse or your co-workers. And keep in mind, when I say teaching your spouse, again, I don't necessarily mean as a matter of fact, I absolutely do not mean in some sort of official sense. <coughs> That's not corona. My throat is just dry. But even if it was, look at all the distance we have. Y'all are safe. When I say teaching your spouse, I certainly don't mean that you're sitting them down and you're having a class with your spouse. That is, might be good for their knowledge. It's not going to be good for your marriage. Now listen, I am your pastor. I've got a Master's of Divinity. I've got a Ph.D. in Evangelism and Church Growth. My wife still teaches me. She teaches me to be more patient. She teaches me to honor God's Word. And when I say honor God's Word, she doesn't have any problem in the world with looking at me and saying, are you living out what God's Word says? She teaches me to be a better husband and a better father. Folks, she teaches me to love y'all better. She admonishes me occasionally. I can't tell you the number of times that she's looked at me and said, have you checked on so-and-so? Craig, it'd probably be good if you tended to this particular situation. I don't usually argue with her because she's almost always right about those things, not other things. Folks, understand that we have an opportunity and a responsibility to be teaching our spouses. That's part of what it means to be mature in Christ. Why? Because that's what mature Christians do. They teach others, not always in an official sense, but always teaching. Mature Christians are concerned with others around them. They're concerned with the eternal destination of others and concerned with the hearts and the minds of others. Folks, beware of somebody who wants to be a teacher who is not actively teaching. I've had people that want to join our church and immediately they like to sit down with me sometimes before they even join the church and they say, well, I want to come and teach. Number one, you can't teach here unless we've known you for at least six months. Number two, the very fact that you came and told me that you wanted to come here and teach is a huge red flag for me. Because if you need an official capacity to teach, you're not the kind of teacher that we need. The kind of teachers that we're looking for are the people that are always teaching, always bringing people along. And so we're not looking at them and going, can you do this? We're looking at them and we're going, we're seeing you do this. And we'd like for you to take it on in a larger role. Folks, you want to grow in Christ? Find somebody to teach. Parents, teach your children. Spouses, teach one another. Teach your coworkers. And again, not in a top-down, heavy-handed way. Lovingly, occasionally, in the moment. Isn't that some of the best lessons you've ever learned in your whole life? When somebody says, I see this going on in your life. Can I just give you some suggestions? Or can I tell you how I've learned through this process? One of the things I often try to, to, to help other churches and help pastors with is not to teach them from my overwhelming reserve of knowledge as if I have that. But you know what I'm able to teach them a whole lot about? 
hey, this is the mistakes that we made. These are the places that I've messed up. This is where I've failed. Don't be like me. Folks, can you do that? How many of you have failed in your life and can use your failures to help others avoid the same things? Mature Christians teach others. Number three, mature Christians discern right from wrong. Now, in its simplest definition, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. Now, that's John MacArthur's definition. We shouldn't be surprised that MacArthur would define one word with three sentences. It's a pretty good definition, but it might be kind of hard to stomach. Tim Challey simplifies it a little bit. He says, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Y'all, the Bible teaches that there is a clear relationship between spiritual discernment and spiritual maturity. So that's what the writer of Hebrews says, that they are able to discern right from wrong. But understand, not just discern, but actually practice. For a Christian to be mature, he must also be discerning. Those who are not discerning must be one of a few things. They must be either, number one, an immature believer. Number two, a backsliding believer, which would mean a believer living in sin. Number three, a dead believer, which is to say no believer at all. You understand, those are our three options If you are not living with discernment, you either are a brand new believer who's not yet grown, or you're a seasoned believer who's not being obedient, or you're no believer at all and you need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we're wary of those folks who say, I want to go deeper, but they always want to move past the gospel. What is it about the gospel that you don't like? Perhaps you want to go deeper than the gospel because the gospel hasn't yet changed you. Mature Christians are discerning Christians. Now, what is discernment? It's the application of God's Word to our lives. Is it a spiritual gift? Yes, it is. Discernment is absolutely a spiritual gift. Some are given a special gift from the Lord and have a unique ability to practice discernment. Folks, if you know any of those people, keep them close to you. There are a few people like that in my life. I keep them close. That doesn't mean that if someone has the spiritual gift of discernment that they're never wrong. What it means is that God has given them the ability to often see right from wrong quicker than other people. All right? If you find those people, keep them close. That doesn't mean that you give them a free pass to always be right. It just means that if they look at you and they say, something's not quite right here, it's worth your while to say, huh, let me look into that. Let's consider that together. But it's not only a spiritual gift. Yes, some are given that special gift from the Lord, but it's also a skill. It's a skill that is learned and can be improved upon. It must be constantly maintained and practiced. Understanding, it requires first knowing God and His ways and being able to understand particular situation. So there's the skill, there's the understanding, and then there's the application. When the situation arises, we understand it, We see the situation, we interpret it through God's Word, and then skillfully apply God's Word. But then finally, he says that we've got to be able to separate. As Christians, discernment requires discriminating truth from error and right from wrong, separating the good from the bad. Mature Christians are able to discern right from wrong. 
Now again, hear me say, the more time we spend in God's Word and we allow God's Word to shape us and we allow the community of God to shape us and we allow the people of God to shape us, we allow the Holy Spirit of God to shape us, God will give us a sort of spiritual sixth sense. Now, I don't mean this in some sort of a mystical kind of way. I'm just telling you that as we absorb the Word of God, then God gives us this ability to occasionally just know that something doesn't feel right, even if we can't put our finger on it. You ever been there before? You look at it and you go, I can't say for 100% sure that this is wrong or this is sinful, but something about this just doesn't feel right. And so before we walk into it, I'm going to step back, I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm going to run to God's Word. That's, that's part of discernment. But understand, did you see that? The, there's a part of discernment that is something doesn't feel right. There's the other part of discernment that says, before I make a decision for or against, I'm going to run to God's Word and allow God's Word to be that, that interpretive lens through which I make these decisions. Mature Christians practice discernment. Who do you call when you have to make hard choices? Do you seek out those people who agree with you or those people who take you to God's Word and run you through the ringer of God's Word? How can we tell what a mature Christian is? Not only do they run to God's Word, but they constantly choose right instead of wrong, and they constantly offer sound advice to others seeking to make proper choices. Well, seek out those people who, when you go to them for advice, they take you to the the Word of the Lord. They don't first take you to the stock market. They don't first take you to public opinion. They certainly don't first take you to social media. The first place they take you is to the Word of God. To say, what does God's Word have to say about this? It's amazing. There are many things in life that are pretty black and white when we run to God's Word. Many things that are pretty black and white, but we've got to begin right there. Fourthly, this morning... Mature Christians live lives that honor Christ. Now, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews ends with this picture of discernment. Now, if, if the wind doesn't blow my Bible shut, I'm going, well, it, it, will, it will allow me for just a minute to at least get these couple of verses in. He says in verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's interesting here that the writer of Hebrews ends with this picture of discernment, but clarifies that discernment is trained by constant practice. In other words, mature Christians aren't those that hit for power. They hit for average. Now listen, baseball's coming back. We hope and pray, because y'all, don't we need something to get our mind off of everything else around us? I mean, we, we're hoping for baseball and the NBA so that we just have... I don't even like the NBA, but I will watch every single game. Just give me something to watch. But baseball's coming back on a 60-game season. Is that right, Adam? 60 games? 60-game season. Now, a 60-game season is going to be something unique because baseball has changed a lot in the past 15 or 20 years. We've always loved the long ball, but in the past 15 or 20 years, people quit bunting. Nobody's cared about a single. We've got guys that strike out more in one year than Tony Gwynn struck out in his entire career. You understand that? That's what we're looking at right now in baseball. But when the game, when the, excuse me, when, when the, the, the season is shortened to 60 games, everything changes. That guy that strikes out six times to hit one home run is no longer going to be celebrated, okay? We're not going to have a 30-home run season this year. We only have 60 games to get there. Every game counts. Every at-bat 
will count. And as a result, we're going to see a lot of small ball, I think, I hope, I'm praying for it, right? I, I want to see people stealing bases. I want to see bunts. I want to see singles. As many of you know, Luke Talbert is uh, was one of our former uh, pastors here. He's on the mission field now. Uh, Luke is one of my dearest friends in the world. When we talk about discernment, he's a guy that I'm, I'm going to always call before I make big decisions in life. Y'all can rest assured that in the, I guess, 12 years, 10 years, whatever, that I've known Luke, and, and in the, the three years that he's been gone from here, or however long it's been, there's never been a significant decision, not only made my personal life, there's never been a significant decision that I've led y'all through that he's not walked with me first. And I call him because he is one of my closest friends. Uh, he is absolutely my closest friend in ministry. But y'all, in addition to being a man that, that really helps me in discernment, He's a man with a pretty good perspective on the Christian life. When he was in, on staff here, he would, we did what we continue to do. We'd sit down on Monday mornings with a staff meeting, and, and we'd ask the question, how was the sermon? Now, it's always fun when, when we have new staff members come on because I say, how was my sermon? And for a few weeks, they all kind of stare it down at the floor. They look around, and they wonder what are they supposed to say, and then they kind of get used to it, and then finally they start being very honest, and then I kind of wish they wouldn't be because they'll hurt my feelings a lot of times uh, about how the sermon was. But, but, but Luke would often say this. He'd look out, and he'd go, eh. I mean, it wasn't a home run. And i go, well, triple? Double? He said it's a solid single. And I go, okay, all right. The problem is so many of y'all are further back. I'm yelling a whole lot more, and my voice is not keeping up. He said it's a solid single. And I said, well, how am I supposed to feel about that? He'd say, your job isn't to hit a home run every week. Your job's not to hit a home run every It's good if you hit a home run every once in a while. I said, but listen, singles make runs. And singles in sermons build mature Christians, and mature Christians build healthy churches. And folks, that's not only the case as it relates to our sermonizing. That's the case as it relates to us seeking to live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, we're not going to hit home runs. Most of our Christian life is going to be singles and bunts. And occasionally, the best decision we'll make is to steal a base when nobody's looking. Mature Christians hit for average. It's important because a whole bunch of small decisions that honor Christ is usually much more important than making one big splash publicly and then living disobediently the rest of the time. I'm going to say that one more time, and then I'm going to hash it out. Small decisions that honor Christ are usually much more important than making one big splash publicly, and then living disobediently the rest of the time. Angela and I were sitting around last night, and, and uh, um, just, we... we we shouldn't look at social media because she and I rarely look at social media and walk away going, hey, that was fun. We usually look at it and go, what in the world? But she and I talked about some, some acquaintances that we have that, have that that their marriages have failed. And what we've seen in that is that the narrative for that relationship gets defined by whichever person is most active on social media. 
And the person in that relationship that's most active on social media is almost always able to spin themselves as the victim. Okay? And in the process, it just breaks my heart when I see these people that I know the backstory because, you know, sometimes as a pastor, I don't end up counseling just y'all. Sometimes I counsel people from all over. And, and it's, it's a weird thing as a pastor because you get a phone call from somebody who knows you from a whole completely different context. And they just say, I need a pastor that I can speak with. And, and, and we'll do that. And so sometimes I end up knowing the backstory. And then instead of seeing the whole story, you only see these little things. You know, you see a spouse that's left their spouse or that has destroyed a marriage. And then they start posting Bible verses and talk about how, how, how much of a victim they are. And it just breaks my heart to see it. And, and, and I thought about that as I was working through this message this morning. That if we're not careful, we hit a home run for Jesus. We make a huge splash. Whether that be on social media or in our job or whatever. And we make one big splash. We make one right decision and we do it publicly. But then we make ten wrong decisions privately. We strike out ten times. But somehow we've tried to convince the whole wide world that we're living a life that honors Christ. Folks, mature believers aren't always famous. Mature believers don't always have a following. Mature believers don't always make a huge splash. Mature believers are sometimes stay-at-home moms and mechanics. And sometimes they don't have a following and they don't have a blog. Sometimes all they have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And an effort to create children who love the Lord. And the biggest impact they make in the whole wide world are the little small investments that they make in their church. Rocking babies in nurseries. Teaching children in vacation Bible school. And Lord have mercy. We've got to have VBS next week, next year. We've got to. We've got to be able to teach those children and bring them in. Sometimes the biggest impact somebody makes is to go on a mission trip with their church. And folks, I want you to know that, that it, is, it is those small acts of faithfulness that result in strong, mature believers that change the world. You might not change the whole wide world today. But you can change your small corner of it. And you can honor the Lord Jesus Christ in those moments. So I ask you this morning, are you really mature? See, here's the truth. How would you know? We could ask this question, are you growing? Are you teaching others? Can you discern right from wrong? Do you honor Christ? But perhaps one of the most important questions that we've got to ask as we wrestle with the question of whether or not you are a mature follower of Jesus Christ, is this. Do others see that in you? Not after you've told them. Time for a little confession for you. I, I, you guys know, I, uh, some of you know, some of you don't. I, I maintain a, a blog. I write pretty regularly. I've written a lot more during coronavirus. It's given me an opportunity, hopefully, to connect with you guys. Um, and I, I try my best in my writing to be honest. Like I, it's, 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 and I, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with some of those things. I never want to be self-promotional. 
So I, I, I write a blog, I do a podcast, I, and, and, and the podcast was very uncomfortable for me. I only did that after I had some of you all actually come to me and suggest it. So I, I, because, because I depend on the church to help me to discern God's direction for my life. That's, that's biblical. That's what a real healthy ecclesiology looks like. But, but one of the things that I always want to be is honest. But listen, when I write things, I edit them. And sometimes if I really want it to be good, I have someone else edit it. Or I have someone else read it. You know what's really scary is by the time somebody else or sometimes two or three somebody else's have read a piece of my writing and have given me input and advice on it, sometimes it almost doesn't look like my writing anymore. I step back and go, I couldn't have written it that well. They took out all of my comma splices. They took out all of my extra that's. They added a comma here. They added a period there. They took out all the extra double spaces I put in because I still think they're kind of important even though Microsoft Word tells me they're an error. Right? They make sure that I've got everything done in all the right places. And folks, there's a, there's a danger here. That sometimes people read my writing and they assume that everything they read is exactly how Craig Thompson is. Now I try my best for it to be. But then they take it a step further occasionally and they read my writing and they inflate it. And they begin to assume that I'm more than I am. Y'all, we can tell people how good we are. And if we tell people how good we are, then they'll get pretty used to coming to us for advice. You understand? I can jump on Facebook and tell everybody how much I love my wife and love my children. But the people who know whether or not I love my wife and my kids aren't the people that I tell about it. They're the people that see me doing it. They're the people that watch me. They're the people that have an opportunity to say, Craig, what you, the way you spoke to your child right there was right or it was wrong. Those are the people that help me. So how am I going to know if I'm maturing in Christ? Can I tell you that by being a part of a church body, by being fully engaged in the church, by being surrounded not with sycophants who just tell us what we want to hear, but people who honestly want to see the Lord glorified and to see us changed, by being immersed in that kind of environment, I have an opportunity not only for me to feel like I might be maturing in Christ, but for other people around me to help me know if I'm maturing in Christ. Are you really mature? Here's a hard truth. If you are, somebody else will tell you. Somebody else will see it. Hard truth number two. If you are really mature, it won't be a source of pride for you. It'll be a sense of responsibility. Because as we grow in Christ, we understand the privilege it is that to belong to Jesus and to bring others along to Jesus. Do you want to go deeper? I want us to all go deeper. I want you to read God's Word, to know God's Word, to be shaped by God's Word. But I also want to let, tell you this, and I don't ever want you to forget it. It never gets deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never, ever gets deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is no truth in all the world that is more transformative than the truth that the God of all creation became a man, lived among us for 33 years of sinless perfection, and gave his life as a ransom for all on the cross of Calvary. 
That is the deepest truth in all the world, and it's the hope for all of mankind. And so as you struggle to grow in Christ, as you seek to grow in Christ, let me urge you, meditate upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch how the gospel changes you. One decision, one action, one opportunity at a time. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you. We'll meet you right up here. If you're at home watching and you don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, let me urge you this morning to pray today and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you. He'll hear your prayer. But also, let me just remind you, that reach out to us. We want to minister to you. We want to care for you. Give us a call. Send us an email. We want to walk you through that journey, not only of becoming a Christian, but of growing as a Christian, growing into maturity, moving past the milk of God's Word to the solid food of discernment and obedience and application. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that you be at work among us today. Lord, we are grateful for your word that never changes, that always challenges. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to grow up into maturity. Father God, let us never have heads that are bigger than our hearts. Father God, let us never have more information than application. Lord God, may we never, ever prioritize knowledge over obedience. Lord God, thank you for loving us and giving us Jesus. Lord, I pray you continue to speak to us as we sing to you today in Christ's name. Amen.